The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome to another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. I'm your host, Lee Russell, and I'm with my co-host, Daniel Harper. How's it going tonight, Dan? Going pretty well. Cool. I think. I don't know. About to open this new beer, Stone Ruination 2.0, double IPA. Just oh, showed yeah. up, so we'll see how that goes. Sorry, I know not a beer podcast, but, you know. Oh, that's hey. fine. We, we try to mix uh, liquor in with this anyway. I'm drinking... From Boxing Rock, which is a brewery that just sort of started up in the last couple of years here in Nova Scotia, I'm drinking their Crafty Jack English Ale, which is technically, I guess, a brown ale is what they're classifying it as, but it tastes yeah. more like a tastes more like a stout. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a mild. Uh, yeah, it's it's at four point two percent. Oh wow! And it's got a lot of flavor. Yeah, <laughs> blast from the past there for me. Haven't had that kind of conversation uh, in a while over over a. Uh... Yeah, so we're we're back on our uh, sex comedy series. Uh, we still, I, I, I thought we actually had less episodes to go than I thought, but I was looking at the new month on the calendar, and we still got technically we still got four episodes to fill. So that's pretty good. That's actually much better than I thought. Tonight we're going to be doing uh, two selections, one from me and one from Dan. Before we get into that, we're going to get into our new little game we're doing that uh, Daniel suggested and we're having fun with it. So we're going to be playing another round of Movie God. Should I explain the rules? Yeah, explain the rules again, just in case. So in in Movie God, uh, and I got this from uh, Drew McWeeny of the... uh, formerly Moriarty of Ain't It Cool News, and uh, now Drew at Hip Flicks. This is a game that he would, put, would play with his friend Scott Swan on their podcast, uh, which I think is defunct now, just in case anybody, in case there's ever a copyright issue, you know, we can't <laughs> play Movie God anymore. You know, I'm just referencing where I got it from. But the the idea is that Lee will give me, and I or I will give Lee, um, a, a set of titles or a set of uh, actors or directors or composers or whatever. And um, so if I give Lee an option, he is Movie God, and he has to smite one of those things from the universe. It goes away. Not only does it go away so you can't watch it anymore, but anything that happened because of that also goes away. And that's kind of the key. So, like, if you say, okay, destroy Star Wars, that means you've got to destroy everything. George Lucas's career not only changes, but, like, the entire late 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. 90s forward all changes. So it's kind of fun because it makes you prioritize. And the goal is to make it really, really hurt. <laughs> so you like suffer through the damn thing. Um, because the goal is to make you want to destroy, you have to destroy something that you love and it makes you kind of pick priorities. So it's kind of a fun game. Um, yeah. Do you want to go first? Do you have a good one for me tonight? I think I do have a good one for you. Um, okay. this, this is one I considered, and um, it's going to involve two actors, and I think these are two actors that are so prolific that it might really give you some pause as to who you're going to get rid of here. You are movie god, Daniel, and you have to smite either Samuel L. Jackson or Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, that's tough. Well, one of these men is no longer with us. Mm-hmm. doesn't really change anything, but... Um... So we'll talk. We'll talk through it. That's the that's the goal, right? Yeah. My immediate thought is, you can't kill Samuel L. Jackson just because he's been in more stuff. I mean, he's I think mm. one of the most prolific actors of the last twenty years. I mean, he's just been in in everything. Um, lots of crap. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Lots of crappy movies, but also a lot of real classics. But Philip Seymour Hoffman, arguably in his fewer roles has had more quality, you know, like, like you, you definitely mm. get, you know, the, the, the high points of Philip Seymour Hoffman's career, I think are higher than the high points of Sam Jackson. Um, and arguably Sam Jackson hasn't had a really great, like acting performance in, you know, 15 years or so. Um, not that he's bad, but I mean, you really haven't seen like the great Samuel L. Jackson role. Oh, well, Django Unchained. There's, yeah, I forget that momentarily, man, that makes it even harder. Oh, that's a tough one. 
I think if you made me choose, I'd have to kill Philip Seymour Hoffman because okay. I don't know that his I don't know that the lack of film Philip Seymour Hoffman would have like dramatically changed the film industry and would have dramatically like taken away so much other stuff just because while he's while he was wonderful and brilliant, I think other actors would have kind of you know, William H. Macy would have taken some of those roles and you know, we would we would have gotten some other actors. Um I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. One of my favorite performances, uh, one of my favorite films of the last few years is Synecdoche, New York, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is, is just him. You know, it's, it's centered around him, you know. An amazing actor, but if I have to kill one, it's, it's pretty easy for me to kill Philip Seymour Hoffman. So. so you're saying we'd have William H. Macy as the main villain in Mission Impossible 3 instead? Pretty much. Or, you know, like, like that's... Uh... I, I, don't, I don't know if I can see him doing that because I... I don't know, well, that was, that was, not, I don't know who would have done that role. That's, uh, you know... Because that, that, was, that was the best thing in that, that movie. Maybe thought. maybe without Philip Seymour Hoffman, maybe Vincent D'Onofrio would have had another shot at things. You know, Maybe uh, he would have come back and done a bunch of those roles instead. Well, when you, know? you see when you see how he does the Kingpin in Daredevil, it's not a far stretch because he's so fucking good in that show. Um, but yeah, I... I I, I do have trouble seeing like William H Macy going. Do you have a wife? I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's that's a that's a that's a tough choice. I, I don't disagree. Um, it's a you know, but but if you kill Samuel Jackson, I mean, does Pulp Fiction even happen in the way that it does without Samuel Jackson? Uh, I can't think of anyone else that would fill that role well, the way he did. I mean, the thing is, if you kill Samuel Jackson you kill like the big African-American actor of the last, you know, kind of art film actor. I mean, you know, um, Will Smith, obviously, you know, would, would still. Yeah. Oh God. If, well, if, if Will Smith showed up in a Quentin Tarantino movie, I would not be impressed. He was the original choice for Django. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah, so yeah. glad that never happened. And shit, Jackie Brown would be gone. Jackie Brown would be gone. Well, Pam Greer might've, you know, I mean, yeah. I think he still would have made it. I, I mean, I think that you fundamentally changed Tarantino's career, you know, without Samuel Jackson, and you fundamentally changed a bunch of like the late '90s, you know, the mid to late '90s. I don't know. You, you don't have that like one guy who can just come in and be a badass in every movie, you know, because yeah. that's what that's what Samuel Jackson kind of did for a while. I don't know. It's, I mean, I hate to go with the well, he's just been in more stuff and he's more of the popular choice, you know, but I feel like this. I feel like a lot of what Phyllis Moore Hoffman did were, were art films. I mean, he did some, he did a bunch of commercial stuff, but I don't feel like you like dramatically changed the landscape. Um, and I feel like Samuel Jackson is really important because he is a black actor, um, you know, who has kind of achieved that, that, you know, very high level of achievement as an actor. Um, I think that's an important thing as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of have to kill, I feel bad about it, you know, but I kind of have yeah. to kill, kill Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but I, I I do agree with that choice though. I th- I think that's a pretty good choice. So yeah, awesome, excellent. All right. So throw it at me, Daniel. All right. I don't. I don't. I, I think I know what you're going to choose here. But I, I also picked some actors. Um. So you know, you have to kill either Kurt Russell or <laughs> Bruce Willis. Kurt Russell or Bruce Willis. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. If I kill Kurt Russell. You kill a very underrated actor, I feel. Uh, a guy who's just been around so long that people kind of take him for granted, but he's an awesome character actor. He's, he 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 do everything. Like, he's the guy. He can do character work. He can do leading man shit. Still, to this day, I think he can... I feel he can still do that. Um, you see those, like, late 60s, early 70s Disney films he did? Yeah. The, computer the, War the, Tennis Shoes. Computer War Tennis Shoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, the guy played Elvis, and he did he a convincing did. job of it. Uh, he all those great films with uh, John Carpenter, all the great commentaries for those films with John Carpenter. I, I'd be sorely missing those because those are awesome. Now, Bruce Willis, uh, you get his sort of breakout string of performances in the '90s, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and then you can even argue that Die Hard's a really great performance from him as well. The original I, one, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did. Some good movies here and there. Twelve Monkeys, he was really good in that. But you know, also what? in Pulp Fiction, but yeah, you know, Pulp Fiction, yeah. I don't know that he's the key to that movie, or one of the keys to that movie in the way that Samuel Jackson is. I know? think, I think 
they could have, I think in as far as Pulp Fiction goes, they could have stuck like Mickey Rourke in there, and it might even been more convincing because Mickey Rourke oh. was, you know, actually a boxer. I don't know if Bruce Willis ever did professional boxing or not, but... No. An alternate universe with Mickey Rourke as uh, in that role in the Bruce Willis role in Pulp Fiction is actually that is actually really interesting. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe Mickey Rourke goes on to have like a, a long career as an as a character actor. You know. Yeah. Um, although I think the crazy would have would have hit him pretty. pretty yeah. Well, you, know, like, <laughs> you know, he gets a couple of years and he's brilliant, and then the crazy sh- shows up, and then he's gone. You know. Yeah. I mean, there is there is something like Bruce Willis gets kind of a bad reputation for being a bit of a prick on sets and stuff like that. Like, I mean, there's the notorious conflicts he had with Kevin Smith on that fucking cop-out movie and shit. Yeah. And, you know, but there's a part of me that kind of respects Bruce Willis a lot because he's a bit of a throwback to those sort of, like, manly man actors from, like, the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like Lee Marvin, Steve McQueen, that, that sort of era of sort of tough guy actor you don't see anymore, really. But that being said, uh, I got I to keep fucking Kurt Russell. I, I just, yeah. I, I love him so much. I, I, I can't begin to fathom how many films I love that would, they just wouldn't be the same film without him, so... Yeah, I mean, you kill Bruce Willis. For me, the big thing is like science fiction and fantasy films of the '90s and, and to today basically just don't exist in the same way. You know, yeah. um, you know, Bruce Willis has such a he brings this kind of naturalistic quality to those kinds of films, and that's why he gets cast in them a lot because mm-hmm. um, he grounds them. And I I don't know that you know maybe Nick Cage goes maybe Nick Cage becomes that guy. Like, you know, without, you know, maybe Nick Cage dials back on the crazy and, you know, he he (laughs) be that character actor. No, I I don't disagree with your choice. I mean, you know, it's, you know, for me, I might have to pick Bruce Willis just because there's so much stuff like like near and dear to my heart from Bruce Willis. Um, I love Kurt Russell, but I, you know, I, I have less of a like just intimate personal like love for Kurt Russell. Um, whereas I really did grow up with Bruce Willis uh, films, um, particularly yeah. you know, Die Hard. I watched Moonlighting when I was in my late <laughs> teens. <laughs> uh, yeah, when it, when I'm throwing away Bruce Willis, uh, I mean, I am throwing away Unbreakable, which hurts because that's one of my favorite superhero movies. And yeah, you're throwing away Die Hard as well. So those are two big ones. After that, the rest of his stuff doesn't necessarily... It goes back to like... he didn't necessarily need to be in those movies. I mean, right. he, was the right, he was the right guy, but other people could do it, I think. Uh, yeah, it's still, it's still Bruce Willis. I, I, I'd, have to, I'd have to eliminate him. So, yeah. yep, Fair enough. All right, so you killed Bruce Willis, and I killed Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. That's, and plus, yeah, we're, I want... We're I, terrible I, people. <laughs> well, Philip Seymour Hoffman's already dead, so you didn't have to worry about that. Um, right. But... But yeah, I like to think that we're not really killing them; we're just erasing their careers. So they, so like Philip Seymour Hoffman went on to be like a, a plumber or something, you know, and had a wonderful <laughs> life, you know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, we just we just kind of he doesn't go into acting, you know. So you don't have to actually kill him. You just you know he doesn't go into acting. Oh, uh, okay. You don't have to kill him. All right. <laughs> no, but it uh, uh, also part of the. Dis- Part of the thing is like I, I I hoped for I hoped that you would uh, keep Samuel L. Jackson just like I kept uh, Kurt Russell because they're both going to be in the Hateful Eight, so I want to see that. And oh yeah, they're part of the reason why I want to see that movie. So yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I was sitting here, I was thinking you mentioned Unbreakable, and of course Samuel L. Jackson's the other lead in that. Yeah, so, you there know. you go. Yeah, um, good connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great round of movie god there. Yeah, so. we actually do have uh, two comments I want to get to really quickly here, and uh, the first one is from our uh, mutual friend Ryan Rashawn. He posted back on our zapped and zapped again uh, episode. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what he said. Uh, he is quoting you here. I dig werewolf cock, Daniel Harper, and he says, "Put it on your tombstone?" Question mark. Indeed, we will. <laughs> All right, and uh, next one is from um, constant uh, viewer uh, bylog Greg, a friend of mine from Beard Dweebs United. He says, "Great show as always. Haven't seen a lot of these movies, and then this is reference to the uh, Crown International Pictures episode we just did." He said, "Great show as always. Haven't seen a lot of these movies as the '70s was before my time." 
But it's really interesting to go back and check out these screenshots uh, in time of cultures that no longer exist. Just an interesting piece of trivia for you that you may or may not know. The actress who played the bigger girl who popped the waterbed in the van was Lillian McBride. Believe it or not, she was born in 1919 and was around 58 when she did this nude scene. I think she looks pretty good. Yeah, and she says, I think she looks pretty good for someone who is almost a senior citizen. I assume she was closer to 30. She uh, died in 2001, and I actually researched this, and he is correct. She was in her 50s when she did that film. That's amazing. Yeah, and she don't look it. She don't look, uh, she looks like like she is, you know, in her 30s or something like that. Yeah, no, I mean... That, it makes me want to go back and rewatch that scene just to, uh, just to, you know, when you hear the words born in 1919, mm. like just born in 1919, that just gives you like, like that's a year after World War One ended, you know, <laughs> like her dad came back from the front yeah, from, from the, from the uh, gas lines. And then, you know, wow, that's. And that's someone crazy. born at someone born in 1919 playing presumably a teenager in a sex comedy in the 1970s. Right. And you got to, you got to wonder like, how did, how did that happen? Like that's yeah, just no idea. It's, it's, it's a, it's a shame. You know, when you, when you think about these kinds of pictures, I, I really wish there was someone documenting this to some degree, you know, before some of these people die, you know, like, like actually just kind of asking like, you know, what, what was, what was it like making these things, you know, because there is this kind of like oral history, I guess we get sometimes. And, you know, you kind of get, you know, DVD, the DVD era kind of gave us director's commentaries and cast commentaries and that sort of thing. And you get some information that way, but it's mm-hmm. when, when, when these people die, you know, when the director dies, you're never going to be able to ask him, you know, Hey, yeah. what was it like? And, and I mean, it's not like these are like great monuments of cinematic achievement or anything, but it's a bygone era. And I think that we've, we've lost it. And I think that we're going to talk a little bit about that with our two film selections. Mm. Although the film might be a little bit of an overstatement for one of these. So, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Um, before we do that, we're just going to do quickly uh, what we've watched in the last little while. Uh, you told me off air that you haven't really watched anything this week. so uh, It was finals week. Let's just leave it. Yeah. There. All right. I actually watched uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. I watched it on Put Locker. I didn't go to the theater to see it, of course. but uh, And it was uh, it was decent. It was I think it was pretty much on par with the first movie for the most part. Much more character driven this time around. It was like going more into uh, backstory and stuff of the characters than it was uh, focusing on action, although there's some really good action set pieces in it. There are some subplots that don't work, and they just sort of come out of nowhere. There's a romance angle that just feels really tacked on, and I didn't like it all. But there's also some really good stuff, like continuously focusing on uh, Tony Stark and his uh, sort of post-traumatic stress uh, disorder he has from... uh, you know, going up into a wormhole and uh, and detonating a nuclear device around a bunch of fucking aliens, and he's just constantly he's just constantly afraid now that they're going to come back and he can't do anything about it and can't stop them. Yeah, that's definitely. Um, I'm I'm probably going to see that either tomorrow or Sunday, so I'll probably talk a little bit about it. You know, next week. Okay. Um, but well, I'll, I'll um, keep I'll keep away from spoilers then. But um, I, I will say it it it's definitely some some of the some of the characters certainly take a back seat this time around. Like some of the main characters, they take more of a back seat. And of course, they've had movies to build up their characters, right? You get you get a lot more from uh, Hawkeye this time around. Really good uh, story with him. There's a bit of surprise with one of the new characters. Um, James Spader does a really Good job as the villain Ultron, which could have been just a sort of a pre-functionary kind of blah villain, but he really does a lot of great uh, work just with his uh, voice alone. And uh, and they, James Spader is always amazing. Mm. And the and just just the way they sort of rewrite the some of the characters from the comics for the actual film uh, the film continuity it works really well. I think I think it fits really well with the characters that we know so far. The, the I think the biggest complaint about this movie is it's just kind of, it's kind of a bridge to the next phase of the Marvel films. So it does, it, it, it kind of sweeps some, some of the past conflicts and stuff under the rug and just does away with them really quickly. 
ties up a lot of subplots really quickly. It sounds a little bit like um, Avengers 2 might suffer from some of the same problems that Iron Man 2 did. <clears throat> and um, that it's, I mean, it sounds like, you know, from your description, that they're kind of using the Avengers. I mean, they're, they're clearly using the Avengers franchise since it's kind of the big moneymaker, you know, the, I mean, yeah. among these huge temple pictures anyway. But the, the idea that they're kind of using the Avengers films as the uh, transition points for the different phases and kind of bringing in different, you know, elements yeah. of the of the universe and that sort of thing. So, uh, but Iron Man two, you know, if you remember that one, it definitely suffered from that. Uh, there's just a they just didn't take the time to plot it properly. Like they had a release yeah. date and they had to make it in time. And you know, John Favreau kind of came in late and you know they they offered him some money and he finally agreed to do it. But I mean, it, it felt kind of half assed in a way that maybe you're not saying Avengers two necessarily feels half assed. No, but, it's not. But that it, you know that was a movie that definitely suffered from feeling like it had to set a bunch of, you know, pieces on the board. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Avengers films, I think that's going to be the big challenge going forward for, for the Marvel cinematic universe is kind of, well, how do you keep all the plates in motion while at the same time delivering a, an effective story? And um, it might just get so big, it collapses under its own weight, which would be a shame. Yeah. But, um so far, they so far they're really they've got really good batting average on these. So, um, I'm excited to see the Avengers uh, two. The other one that I'm excited, that I'd really like to see this weekend, and and maybe we'll make it happen is uh, Ex Machina. I, I might go see that. It's playing at the. Oh yeah, uh, I've heard about um, that. Yeah. And um, uh, as a as a hardcore science fiction fan, you know the ability to you know to anytime there's like an actual like real science fiction movie in theaters, I'm I'm definitely wanting to see it. So. Mm-hmm. We've been looking at that. We've just been really broke for the last week, and we've just been like, "Yeah, we're not doing anything." It's like, "Yeah, yeah I have four dollars <laughs> in my bank account." Yeah, we're we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, this is Harry Knowles. When I'm not writing barely legible reviews on my site, Ain't It Cool News, or shilling for movies that give me free shit, I listen to They Must Be Destroyed on Site, a movie podcast. Now, where's my fucking cheeseburger, guys? Anyway. All right. Uh, so I guess we can move on to the main event. Um, we'll start with the first movie, and I'll let you uh, introduce that, Daniel. Sure. Well, again, movie might be a little bit of a uh, you know a misnomer here, um, but uh, we're first of all we're going to talk about Busty Cops, and uh, there is a uh, a movie from 2012, which is an actual hardcore film. But, you know, today we're talking about uh, the version from 2004, which was sequelized also in 2004, which tells you a lot about the amount of work that goes into these films. <laughs> this is a kind of the... It, it's a, it's a softcore film. This this is about as close to pornography as I think we're going to get to actually talking about on this, on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any issues with pornography. I don't have any issues with talking about it and talking at some length about, you know, what works and doesn't work about pornography. When we started talking about doing sex comedies, I, I was just thinking, like, well, you got to do, if you wanted to do, like, we, we've been jumping around in time, and we're going to do that today as well, you know, because we're also going to do something from the 80s. But, you know, I was sitting and thinking, you know, you kind of get the stuff from the 60s and the stuff from the 70s and the 80s, yeah. and, you know, they're kind of different waves, and you've got to do something that's like the 2000s-era direct-to-video kind of shitty, you know, titty movies. Yeah. And you got to do at least one of those. And the one that came to my mind immediately is Busty Cops, just because <laughs> so many of these things were uh, like erotic thrillers, you know? If you if you think about, you know, they kind of start with uh, Red Shoe Diaries, um, yeah. uh, Cinemax, this kind of Skinemax idea. Um, and they, they start with uh, the, the kind of romantic angle, and then they kind of, after Basic Instinct, I guess, or after that kind of got used, they... Yeah started becoming more thrillers, you know, so you got a lot of, you know, erotic thrillers that would really only have like a few minutes of actual like kind of softcore content. I mean, it wasn't like this, you know, you'd really only get like, you know, a couple of like five minute scenes or something like that. And then there was an actual plot aside from that. Busty Cops is the absolute opposite version of this where there (laughs) is, they pretend to have a plot. They, They don't like... They're not even, like, the jokes aren't even remotely funny. There is no, like, motive force behind this at all. At one point, there's even just a scene where a girl says, I want to be one of the busty cops. And yeah. then you just watch her ride around on the bed for a while. Like, um, <laughs> there, there is, they, they abandon any pretense that there is a plot that anybody cares about. They spend about 
the first like 10 minutes after the five minute hot tub scene that opens the film mm-hmm. and about 10 minutes of, Oh, we're kind of being goofy and we're doing like a little bit of kind of Raymond Chandler esque kind of um, dialogue and you know, that kind of detective hero, um, a little bit Charlie's angels and then an hour of just tits constantly. Yep and softcore action and then at the end it's like oh and then this the bad guy the guy that you already knew was the bad guy because he's very obviously the bad guy (laughs) no attempts to even pretend this is not going to be the bad guy uh they just shoot him and then like oh and now we're we need to take a shower afterwards and then that's and then that's the end and then they're interviews in the kind of closing credits which i think i want to talk a little bit about towards the end but anyway that's my opinion of busty cops um (laughs) um you know, I, I had forgotten just how like full like filled to the wall with tits this was. I was I was thinking, oh, there's kind of a plot. Like it's you kinda do but no, there's no there's no plot at all. So um kinda hard to talk about on a movie podcast. But Lee, what did you think of Busty Cops? Uh, well, first I'll, I'll mention the director, uh, Jim Wynorski, uh, is one I'm very familiar with because he has had a long, long career in this sort of, not even strictly this genre, but he started out more in horror and stuff like that. I, I was reading about it. He did a lot of schlock, a lot of the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of drive-in stuff, and then was just kind of this known guy towards, you know, yep. I guess towards... The, I mean, he's still making movies today, isn't he? Yeah, well, yeah. He's, he's pumping yeah. out... He's pumping out a ton of movies every year. He is basically the go-to guy now for this sort of uh, cinema. Um, he, he... In the last few years, he's done... Uh, pr- notable films such as the Bresford wives and uh, the, the bear winch project. Uh, so, so he focuses more on a lot of like uh, softcore like parodies of other films and stuff like that. And yeah, he, he is well known for doing this sort of stuff in his later half of his career. I didn't, mind this too much i mean you know it keeps it keeps you fairly interested for a while although after a while you start almost start to get bored of just seeing like constant tits and tits and tits well, because it's literally yeah i mean it's just scene after scene of and then like oh we should take our tops off and then they just like rub around to each other and it's just kind of like when it when you're literally watching an hour of this towards in, in the middle of the film and there's just, there's nothing else going on uh except for like the occasional like 30 second dialogue scene uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it gets monotonous and it's also because it's soft core and because they're not really doing anything interesting with the soft core, you know, they're not like playing with any cool images. I mean, it really is just like, you know, we all got in a hot tub and then, you know, we fondle each other and then that's, that's the movie. Um, yeah, there's you know. very, there's actually very few sex scenes in it. It's much more, um, just like lesbian rub downs and showers uh right a hot tub I mean, it's, it's it's straight up cheesecake yeah um, i find it interesting that you know when i was first kind of looking at when i when i re- what i remembered of this film film we'll put that in air quotes um, <laughs> what i remembered about this watching it because you know it's i, I was uh, we were talking about this off air um you know that i remember i used to like these would just come on cinemax late mm-hmm. at night um when i was in my like 20s and i was living alone for a while and, or, you know, I just, you know, my, my girlfriend would be out of town or whatever. And I just sit up and I just watch these. And it's like, I had the internet right there. Like I could go and like, look at, but there's, there's a charm to a lot of these where, you know, it's kind of this like kind of fun thing. Um, what I remembered was that um, this was one of the, this, this was that era where they actually started getting like hardcore actresses mm-hmm. to, um, to come in. Like, so like Jesse Jane is in this and she's, she's an actual, um, Porn star, she's done you know actual um, hardcore work, and um, Nikki Nova, I think, is the same way. Um, yeah. Those are uh, the other actress um, whose name I don't have in front of me right now. Angela um, Little. Angela Little is actually, I mean, she's a working actress today. She's been mm-hmm. in a bunch, like a bunch of small parts. Which she is, was, uh, she was in one of the uh, American Pie uh, sequels that they, you know, sort one of, of those direct-to-video sequels. Yeah, the ones they the, they don't officially recognize anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, you know, when they're like, you know, we'll, we'll just make a few bucks. I mean, uh, I thought it was interesting that she that she kind of went on and did like a, uh, a, you know, kind of a, you know, I don't want to say legitimate film career, but went on and, you know, she, she, she's had some parts where, you know, yep. she actually has lines, you know, like, I don't know. What did, what did you think of the, uh, the, the, the attempts at comedy in this? They were... 
the, the, it feels like it was like written on the spot while they were filming. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, a lot of it feels very, you know, because there's a scene where like you know he's interrogating the uh, uh, the the models at the uh, whatever, you know, he's inter- he's uh, interviewing people, and I mean, yeah. like it feels like it's very much like he has a list of questions, and it's literally like just give the dumbest answer you can think of. You know, it's a lot of dumb blonde jokes. It's a lot of vaguely... It feels like 12-year-olds. It feels very much like 12-year-olds wrote and made this movie. Um, <laughs> with the with the level of, like, uh, interest in giving a shit about anything. Other yeah. than, like, we're just going to put have three girls with their clothes off uh, fondling each other. Um, yeah. Uh, there, there is one scene that I really remembered. One of the one of the kind of quote unquote sex scenes, the cheesecake scenes that I did want to bring up, and that is, then early in the film, there's a shower scene where the three girls are in the shower, and there's just a carton of eggs like mm-hmm. in the shower, and they just break the eggs on each other, and like it's you know, and then they're rubbing it into each other, and I'm like, this, you know, don't go too far south. This could be like, uh, you know, salmonella yeast infection. <laughs> you know, there is this, you know. I, I was I was worried about the health and safety of the of the ladies in the in filming this. Um, I feel like that that's probably like a, a guild violation or something. But, yeah. um, Young ladies, put, bit, put those eggs down and get yourself some proper shampoo or something to rub down with. Or... Yes, I mean it. It was very. Um, I, I it's it's almost surreal. It's mm. almost surreal that moment where it's like, and then there's just a carton of eggs just in the shower for no reason, and then there were just not only do they break it on each other. And like rub it into each other, and so you know, like in my head, I'm sitting there like, is this supposed to be like some like skin revitalizing thing? Is it supposed to be you know, uh, like what is the in universe reason for this? I started thinking, you know, because I'm just like flabbergasted. And then when they have to leave the shower, the camera actually pans down, and you see the the broken eggshells. Like the the camera makes a point of showing yeah. you like the the aftermath of this uh, of this event, and I'm I just kind of run into this like. I just <laughs> that 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 gives you a perfect encapsulation of what it's like watching this film. There oh, there yeah. there's nudity for no reason. Like there is no absolutely no rhyme or reason. No, there's there's no there's there's no setup. Like the busty cops go to the mansion or whatever to start their investigation. The first thing they do is they they go into one of those scenes. Like <laughs> it's yeah. like. And and they there's the scene with the chocolate syrup and the whipped cream. It's like they look in the fridge, and that's basically all that's in the fucking fridge is whipped cream and chocolate syrup. They were looking for ice cream. There's no ice cream. There there are ten bottles of chocolate syrup sitting on that counter. I counted, and it's a little well. There's no ice cream. Oh well, let's just rub it on each other then, and that's what they do. Um, what did you think? Uh, there, there is kind of one like other little little bit in the middle of the film where um, two of the actresses are kind of uh, you know it is it is implied that they are falling in love with each other or like want to have a relationship. The um, Nikki Nova and then the uh, the other girl, uh, mm. they kind of like they they fall asleep on the bed next to each other, and then you kind of get like dream sequences where each one is kind of fantasizing about sleeping with the other. Any thoughts about that at all, or just you know? More gratuitous. It was, it, it was gratuitous, but there's like a there's a fun element of it though, like mm-hmm. where they kept they kept going back to them on the bed, and they're just mm-hmm. like they're like both supposed to be asleep, but they're just like rolling over each other, like they're the right. worst kind of bed hogs you could you could actually well the best possible and the worst possible bed hogs you could probably hope for. I mean, I mean, it's it actually feels like a a kind of a silly like it feels like a silly moment where they're mm-hmm. they're literally like each one and they're like splaying their legs over each other and that sort of thing and, it, and it's. It, you you almost get the sense of they actually had like a sense of perspective and trying to like make something that was more than just you know <laughs> yeah. let's let's take our clothes off for the camera it feels like there were, there was a hint of like there might have actually been a a point of view behind this you know might have been um, um might even just been improvised by the actresses uh, it could have could have very very well been um the only other the only other really interesting bit that i would i would bring up in busty cops and and then i will really let this go if you <laughs> want to just move on because there's nothing to talk about yeah. um is the uh the movie literally only runs like an hour and 12 minutes long or something like that mm-hmm. and then you have this extended like 10 to 12 minute sequence of interviews 
Um, and uh, the woman doing the interviews is one of the producers named Samantha Phillips, who was a uh, kind of model back in the 80s and, and yep. um, 90s. So she was a producer, and she's kind of sitting and asking questions. And you get this, uh, some of the behind-the-scenes filming. And I found the two girls, like, chatting with each other about making the movie was more entertaining than the movie itself was. Oh, yeah, that's the best part. Is I mean, if you're looking for actual entertainment outside of just titillation, like, that's what you want to watch is the end credits because there's actually some interesting and kind of funny stuff in that. Um, but yeah, but outside of that, the rest of the movie is kind of like boring as far as like the dialogue parts go. It's like, you just, you just want to skip to scene to scene and, and that's about it. Like, right. I mean, you, you basically, I mean, I feel myself really fast forwarding through some of this, like, okay, and now we got a, another scene in front of a fireplace, whatever, just skip forward two minutes. I mean, it's, it's exactly, I know exactly what this is, you know, the mm-hmm. reason, um, Really, I could have sat down and watched this whole thing in like ten minutes if I was just like, yeah, I don't know, I'm just gonna like. Oh yeah, it's 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 totally you skip to the scenes with the actresses that you are actually interested in, and that's about it, right? I mean, and these these scenes are kind of weird in themselves because the movie's supposed to be technically it's supposed to be a movie with a story going on, but every time it goes into those scenes, it breaks the fourth wall, and they're and the actual actresses are playing to you as if you're there in the room with them watching them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very, I mean, it feels like the kind of thing, like, nobody gave a shit. I mean, I think you and I have spent more time talking about the story in this film than the filmmakers did in making the story of this film. So, you know, if you're looking for vintage 2004 cheesecake footage, I mean, there are even better places to go for that. But, mm-hmm. like, it's the sort of thing where eventually, you know, you kind of get, like, today, you, the hardcore entertainment companies actually do a lot of the uh kind of um porn parody versions yeah. of things you know you get the like the um you know the superhero parodies and all that kind of stuff and they actually like put i mean some money and thought and some like cleverness behind that like they actually sell versions of those films today that are like where they cut the sex scenes out where you can actually just watch the you know <laughs> the actual parody you know you know or at least they kind of do like edits of it where it's it's you know where you can kind of like view it on you know tv and that sort of thing but yeah those films actually feel like they have like there's some like reason that they exist whereas this i mean the fact that they're busty cops has no like <laughs> you know relevance to anything that's really happening on screen um this really is just an excuse it's it's the um uh, like those old Playboy home videos, you know, where it's just like, oh yeah, yeah. And now the two girls are playing tennis in the nude, and like, you know, it's it's it's. <laughs> I mean, there's a purity to it you can't really complain about. Like if you're looking for, you know, big fake tits oiled up with eggs and chocolate syrup, <laughs> um, this is a place to get that. So uh, check it out, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I would I would say though if you're if you're looking for some stuff from the same director. Of, of sort of the same idea, but maybe with slightly more of a story and where uh, the sex scenes and stuff aren't, you know, breaking the fourth wall. You know, if you, if you actually give a fuck about that stuff, I can't imagine anyone actually would. But go for his, like, uh, uh, Breastford Wives uh, movies or the Witches of Breastwick or even the Bear Winch Project or something along those lines. They're, those are probably a bit more entertaining. I have seen a couple of these ones, oh, too. And the, the actress whose name I can't remember, the, the one who actually went on to do... Um other movies the one that isn't nikki nova or uh jesse uh, Jean. Uh, angela Jean. angela little angela little i'll try to remember it from now on i'll forget it in 10 seconds so <laughs> she was in a uh, an indiana jones parody called i think like alabama jones or yeah something alabama like jones yeah and i remember seeing that like years ago and that was um pretty cute you know so <laughs> again uh, this is definitely a genre that, you know, I saw a bunch of these, you know, in my 20s and just kind of, you know, they, they don't really get made that much as, as they used to. Um, but if you're a fan, if you're a fan of this genre, there are better places to go. Like, you know, um, the real highlight for me is the scene with the eggs just because it actually does have just enough surrealism to just kind of go, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> but that's that's all I have to say about this. Yeah. Everyone watch that scene and analyze it and give us a dissertation on uh, Yeah, yeah. I want I wanted to hear about the semiotics of Busty Cops. <laughs> Some commenter. We need a we need a uh a, a Marxist deconstruction of Busty Cops. Go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh we'll move on now to nineteen eighty two with the Beach Girls, directed by uh Bud Townsend. I think it's also like 
Patrick Townsend or Pete Townsend or something like that. He goes by as well, but it's listed as Bud Townsend on IMDb. Written by Patrick Shane Duncan and Phil Groves. And this is another uh, Capital International picture. Uh, this is an interesting one sort of pick, I think, because this is when they fully sort of got into the 80s and sort of left their sort of more um, late 70s style sex comedies behind. This one stars Deborah Blee, who we've talked about a couple times in this series so far, who was in Hamburger, the motion picture, and in uh, the Malibu Bikini Shop. Uh, this was her actually her first role. She's Sarah. And she's got two friends, uh, Val Klein as Ginger and Jenna Keo as Ducky. She's basically been given free reign to uh, live at her uncle's summer house for a few weeks. And her friends are more adventurous and interested in having fun than she is. She's sort of the studious, uh, good girl. And they're interested in starting, you know, having parties because, hey, we got this free beach house in Malibu all to ourselves. Let's have some parties and stuff. So that's basically what they do. And they, they don't waste any time. Like the, the movie immediately jumps into party mode. Like in the first 15 minutes, the party has already started. Uh, they start inviting over handymen and delivery boys and stuff like that just to get the male quotient up in the party. And so essentially the, the movie is about Deborah Blee's uh, character, Sarah, uh, struggling with, you know, trying to come out of her shell a little bit. And also she's got a bit of a romance going on with uh, the returning James Dotton, who is in uh, Malibu Beach. He's Scott Daniels in this one, and he's sort of the love interest for uh, Deborah Blee's character. And, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of zany characters in this one. This one sort of, like I was saying, it, it it's they're in the full 80s mode at this point for sex comedies where it's much more zany characters and, and stuff and a little less on the dramatic kind of stuff going on between characters. So um, I'll, I'll ask for your initial thoughts on this one, Dan. Sure. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. There There is uh, much more of a plot to this than, I mean, Busty Cops is just... <laughs> for the sake of nudity, you know. Um, this actually has a story. Um, it's not a, a giant, sophisticated story, but there is a, a kind of narrative behind it, and you kind of get a, a, some perspective. There are also some, there's also a subplot that has nothing to do with n- naked girls in a beach house, which mm. I think we'll get into. I, I think there's some, some interesting stuff going on. But uh, Deborah Blee, I, you know, I, it's, it's like, I think she's adorable and sexy and, and wonderful and all those things. But I also think she's a pretty good actress for, yeah. for these kinds of films. I, I, uh, you know, I, I admired actually, uh, her performance in Hamburger, the movie and in Malibu bikini shop. And this is, uh, you know, kind of her, her debut. And this is, you know, she wasn't in very many movies. So, you know, you can't really talk about like a long-term career for this woman, but, um, she does a perfectly good job here. I think that, you know, she has a very, a very good look and she, she gives a good performance. I, I was also, um, uh, Val Klein, I think, uh, kind of has this mischievous look a lot of the time. She's definitely, yeah. and then the, the other girl, um, Gina Tomasina is her, uh, original ah, okay. name. and she, uh, she married, uh, a few years later. She was actually a Playboy centerfold in uh, 1980 or 81. And I remember I used to kind of uh, collect the old like gifts of Playboy centerfolds, you know, like on mm-hmm. Usenet. So that tells you like how long ago that was that I was doing that. <laughs> you know, I remember um, I remember that that centerfold and that you know that that she was that character, and I had forgotten all about her until I saw her in this movie. And I'm like, oh, that's you know that's whatever her name is. Does she kind of look like Taylor Taylor Swift to you? She's got a sort of like this yeah, that slight that slight eye squint that Taylor Swift has. It just occurred are you, to me. Are you thinking of uh, Val Klein or Thomasina? Uh, Thomasina, the, oh. the blonde. No, 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 no. The blonde is uh, Val Klein. Oh right. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. She definitely has that, that very, uh, I don't want to say generic, pretty blonde girl look. I, I think that's a little bit unfair, but um, that's certainly how they've cast her. But you know, you, you, you look at these things, and there's, you know, what, what you get here that you don't get in uh, Busty Cops is that the character, you know, the actresses actually kind of are told to give personalities, or they, mm-hmm. they kind of get to imbue the characters with some kind of, you know, it's not just then we take off our tops and we giggle a lot, you know. Yeah. There really is a sense of, like, these are three individual girls that are kind of partying. And so um, it's just, it's more involving, you know, and, and yeah. you know, certainly the, the plot, I mean, you know, the kind of 
overarching plot of, you know, is the Deborah Lee character going to take her top off at the end or not? Yeah. Um, it's not exactly a, uh, you know... Yeah, spoilers, it happens. Spoilers, <laughs> yeah, she takes off her top for, you know, two seconds. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's not played as anything like this huge moment even. It's just kind of like a, a thing that happens. You know, she took off her top and, you know, yay for... Everybody involved, she was liberated and she wants to have fun, but you really get a, a sense of like who this character is and you really get a sense of who the other two are as well. And I, yeah. I, I liked that. I, I liked that, you know, I'm not going to say this is like a realistic situation, but they definitely seem like realistic young women. You know, they, they definitely seem like they're, they're kind of, you know, kind of scheming, kind of interested in sleeping with guys, interested in kind of smoking a bunch of weed. You know, they, they feel like people as opposed to, you know, literally just an excuse for, for tits. Yeah, I, I wanted to, something I forgot to mention in the last episode with the, some of these Capital International pictures. Uh, the female leads, they and part of it just have, have, happens to be with the sort of time period being similar, but they sort of remind me of the, the female leads in Halloween where they were sort of portrayed realistically as realistic teenage mm-hmm. girls, you know, who actually, you know, had hopes, desires, and and things of that nature, you know, they actually had lives, they, there's a sense that they're real people instead of just cardboard cutouts or whatever, so right. you, you get that here as well, the, like all three leads are really strong, and of course Ginger and Ducky are always scheming, I mean, as soon as uh, Deborah Lee's uncle gets called back to the house because of some snooping neighbors, um, <laughs> they, they take it upon themselves to seduce him and and sort of bring him into the fold. Well, this is this is a subplot I actually wanted to discuss with you because I found this actually really interesting. The degree to which, so the basic plot is these three girls they get into this um, beach house, mm-hmm. they start to party. The neighbors snoop around. Um, the gardener, which is <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about the fight scene yeah. at some point. Um, but the the garden, you know, so the neighbors kind of find out. They they call uh, the guy who owns the house, the uncle or whatever. He comes in and he's not even really that upset. He's just kind of right. like, you know, I know you want to have a good time. I understand. I like having a good time. But the neighbors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and he's like. You know, you got to make him go home tomorrow. You know, like like I, I, you you can party tonight, but everybody has to leave tomorrow, including your two friends. He says yeah. that to to um, Sandy or whatever her name is, Deborah Blee's character. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. Sorry, I don't have the names in front of me, but and then you know, the Ducky and um, uh, Val Klein, st- they say, okay, we're gonna just seduce this guy, and at first it's very. Um, overt like you know okay we're gonna first of all we're gonna give this guy some weed mm-hmm. um and then he just falls asleep and then like kind of later on they're in the sauna and she's like seducing him and then eventually like they both just end up kind of hanging on this guy and, and like in a, in a sense of like he's loosened up he's relaxed he's it seems like this kind of mutually beneficial thing like it feels very good natured it doesn't feel yeah. to me like oh, we're just using this guy. It feels like, oh, we're actually kind of like enjoying his company. Like he's a cool guy and we want to hang out with him and probably have lots of three-way sex with him. And mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 again, that's another thing where I'm kind of like, I kind of, there's a little bit of an arc. You get a little bit of a, of a, of a character moment and it, uh, it feels, it's going to sound really silly to say, it feels earned to a mm-hmm. degree that it did because you actually do spend enough time with it to actually kind of process through the way these characters are feeling, you know, it doesn't feel like they're just manipulating him to let him stay. It feels like, Oh, we actually kind of like this guy. So yeah. I don't know your thoughts on any of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Adam Rourke, who plays the uncle character, uh, Carl Perdue. I, I got the sense that his character is, you know, he probably was one of those sort of male characters in the uh, earlier uh, mm-hmm. Capital International Pictures, and he just, you know, he just sort of grew up a little bit, got a business, got responsibilities, he's got a engagement that he's probably not actually all that thrilled with, you know, right. he's, he's just he's just sort of going through the motions, like, this is what, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, actually kind of goes back as well to uh, Malibu Bikini Shop with the stuck-up uh, conservative character, who yep. seems like he's more or less just going through the motions, not, not that he really wants to do this, he just thinks that's the way he should be going. But then he loosens up when he uh, gets with Ginger and Ducky and, you know, he starts having fun again and starts, uh, you know, reliving his youth a little bit. He's not that old. He's not that much older, but, you know, he, no. he's he's a mature man. Yeah, it, it, it you know, it, it feels well acted. It doesn't feel like a false note or anything yeah. like that. He's, he's a much better actor.
chapter than the uh, lead in Malibu Bikini Shop is. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of the um, Border Patrol guys, the uh, the Coast Guard? Um, they were the pirates. Uh, <laughs> or the were... pirates. I don't know. Uh, what did you think of that subplot? That's where the real sort of 80s uh, zaniness kind of comes in, where you, you see, like, I, I, I can't remember when the first Police Academy came out. but I this that's that, 81. Okay, well, that, that, that feels like something right out of one of the Police Academy sequels. Like, th- those characters would fit right in there. The Captain, I think it's Captain... No, Police Academy is 84, so it's actually a couple of years after this. Oh, well, it, it feels like a precursor then to that sort of film, because... Those those characters would fit right in in any police academy film, as far as I'm concerned. Like if they did a police academy, uh, I think they actually did one in on a beach or something at some they, point. They did. But, I think Police Academy Five is assignment Miami Beach. So, yeah. Uh, you so know. these characters could have shown up on on that on that sh- on that movie, and they would have been totally worked for that film. Yeah, it's 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 zany. I mean, you get this uh there you know the the uh guy who's the, the captain who's constantly dropping his ball bearing, so he's constantly <laughs> making jokes about his balls. Um the the mincing gay stereotypes uh <laughs> definitely uh, something that uh is in this film. Um uh probably did not get the glad seal of approval. Um probably but, not. I guess. Um but you know, it's also like, you know, by today's, you know, today it's it's 23 years later. Oh, pardon me. 33 years later, you know. Mm. You know, and we you know, we we look at it very differently now, but you know, at least in, at least in 82 they had a gay character or two, you know, and it, it it's kind of not, you know, they're not portrayed as being like awful people for being gay. It's just sort of like a you know, no, it's like, it's not it's not negative. It's just it's just, it's just playing on that uh, sort of stereotypical idea of like gay people being in the navy or whatever. You know, right, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it just felt like this very weird thing that we're we're doing. And the whole like, the whole reason the subplot exists is just to get you to the point to where you can justify vaguely the idea that there are you know trash bags full of weed just washing up on shore. Yeah. I mean, when when they they have so much weed, they're just handing it out. They're handing out like you know large um, amounts of marijuana. The, the to, scene, the scene where they come in to confiscate it, like they're just pulling it out of the fucking cupboards and stuff, like just big right. piles. Uh, I think honestly, much more than that was probably actually in the six bags or whatever it was supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, it, you you look at those bags and they're just. I mean, they're just full of weed and uh you know a it looks like lawn clippings it doesn't look like you know um any any uh you know not that i know what what such things look like but uh of course not. Say, michigan is a, a medical marijuana state so you know <laughs> just leave it at that but uh no it's it's uh i don't know like the the this is still early enough that you're still getting the kind of a little bit of the drugs a little bit of the it feels a little bit more real you know as you kind of get later down the line you know something like Malibu Bikini Shop is you know only like four years later I think but it it feels like it's on another planet in the sense of like mm. everything's much more kind of day glow and everything's much more plastic and artificial and and um just kind of zany and wacky you know it's, it's, it's yeah. hijinks with an x you know what i mean you know whereas this you know it's certainly not a realistic film i mean it's nowhere near as realistic i think is is like van nuys boulevard mm-hmm. last week you know it doesn't feel real but it feels like it's kind of grounded in a certain like reality and time and place. I mean, this doesn't even have that level of reality, but um, much more so than like later down the line. And then when you get to like ski patrol, when it's just like wackiness, yeah, you know, and that's all it is. So, other thoughts about uh, Beach Girls? Well, I guess we could talk a little bit about the uh, the two main stereotypical characters in this one: the uh, Mexican gardener who is trying to peep every second he can, yes, yes, and the and the Asian chauffeur for the uh, fiance of uh, Carl right. Perdue. <laughs> well, and the fiance herself, who is you know such a ball busting bitch, you know, like. And I won't say that, you know, that's not my opinion of her. That's definitely the film. The film is like portraying her that way. I will say, you know, it is interesting the degree to which weed is just this magic drug that makes everybody just chill completely. Like it's, it's this magic social thing where you take like one puff of weed and suddenly you are completely uh, dispossessed of any sense of like wanting to be a bad person. Like you just chill out. You take off your clothes and you and you just relax. You she just goes, 
She goes from Cruella DeVille to fucking Debbie Does Dallas in about three seconds after one one puff, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, she just starts and sleeping she's with sleeping it. with the uh, the the uh, the uh, trainee cop guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, where his dad's like the police chief, and so he gets to like wear a uniform, and uh, you know, it's you know the, the men in this movie are interesting, you know, because they just kind of bring in these hot guys just to be in the party. I mean, the party looks like fun. I mean, in a lot of cases, I'll say that you, know, you look at the parties in these kind of movies and they don't look like they're really like a good party. It just kind of looks mm-hmm. like crazy loud and insane. I mean, this actually kind of feels like, oh yeah, like kind of a place that I could see myself wanting to hang out for a while, you know? Yeah. Um, lots of lots of fun nudity. I mean, lots of just, it's very relaxed in terms of that party environment. It, it feels, again, grounded in, in some sort of reality where you know, you can kind of imagine this happening. You can kind of imagine, yeah. you know, these two girls, they're hanging out, they invite a bunch of people over, people are chilling, there's some booze, and you know, it's deliberated. It's right before AIDS became a thing. And so mm-hmm. we're all just going to go to the beach and take our clothes off and have a good time. And, yep. um, you know, it's not hard to imagine that this is this is in some sense a, a reflection of a, of a certain kind of reality, um, which I think is interesting that, you know, just a few years later, you couldn't really make these anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't exist in this way. The subculture went away, which I think we talked about a little bit about more last week. So yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, what did you think of the fight scene? We gotta we gotta talk about the fight scene. I because thought it was. I watched it and I had this flashback to the ending of Stray Dog, <laughs> where uh, Mifuni's chasing the other guy and they're like through the woods and the uh, you know for some reason and I'm not saying that all Asian people look alike that's not what I'm saying <laughs> for some reason the Asian man's performance his the way he flails around just kind of made me think I flashed to that moment and I literally did just compare a Kurosawa film to the beach girls from <laughs> it's that kind of podcast folks yeah um, when you look at a lot of Kurosawa um, films a, a lot of the times actors will play stuff a little bit bigger in some of those films mm-hmm. so they're I mean Mifune is a good example of that like a great actor but he he would he, he put a lot of physicality and sort of manic in, energy into the way he performed on a lot of occasions right. uh, you can especially see it in like uh, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai, yeah. I mean, yeah. where he just walks in and he's just, you know, he just owns the movie. Yeah. The moment he shows up because he's just, yeah. Now we're talking about the Seven Sam- the Seven Samurai, and not the Beach Girls. So you know. Yeah. But no, that's 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 actually a that's actually a fairly apt comparison, I think. And um, like I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, just just really fun it's just a neat little neat little aside that just happens in the film like it, it, it's it's something that some sort of neat little payoff almost that just just for a minor character that's been snooping around like he could have just been played off as a total creepster or something like that who gets his comeuppance in the end or something like that but still it's, it's instead it's this funny little scene between the between the the, the mexican and the uh, asian chauffeur Having a little duke it out, kind of, yeah. You know, because you know he, the, the driver wants to uh, drop his drop his stuff right there, and the uh, the the gardener just says no, and then yeah. they they get in a fight over trash, literally. And uh, you know, it is you know, wow, it's it's a moment of racism. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's there's it's absolutely a racist moment, but it still feels like sort of this like eh, you know, it's silly. You know, we we'll, we'll kind of. I don't know. I, I feel forgiving towards the film to some degree, but it's it does oh. again point that direction towards the big zany stuff that you're going to get in a lot of these films down and the line. It, and, and it pays off in the end in a in a mud pit brawl, which everyone else joins in on. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then it's just like a bunch of a bunch of attractive people covered in mud. So yeah. Know, no. And, and uh, at the in the end, everybody smokes some weed, and everybody chills out, and everybody has a good time, including the busybodies next door. So, yeah, well, they they have no choice because of the big pot bonfire. Where the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> the dumbest hey, idea ever. Let's just light this trash bag full of pot on fire right here and yeah. make a big bonfire out of it. Yes, this is an amazing idea, guys. Um, <laughs> That's how we'll get rid of the pot. That's how we'll get yeah. rid of that evil, dirty drug. Yeah, the the, the dirty weed. We got to keep the uh, you know. 
man, there, there's definitely a reefer madness kind of element to yeah. it as well. You know, it's it's yeah. clearly uh, meant to be uh, satirical. I mean, you know, talking about these two films together, you know, um, Busty Cops and uh, The Beach Girls, it is one of those things where, you know, when you start looking at, like, trash cinema and, like, direct-to-video releases and that sort of thing, you know, you, you start to realize that there are some where people actually kind of gave a shit, and there mm-hmm. are some where nobody gave a shit. Busty Cops is a nobody gave a shit, like, element to it. I mean, the... The reason it exists is just to put um, cheesecake on on video and sell it for cheap to the yeah. DVD market or to Cinemax or whatever. The Beach Girls feels like, despite the fact that it's a cheapy thing, it's designed to put a bunch of tits on screen. There's there's enough of an idea behind it, and there's enough of a concept, and people are actually like giving it performances in this mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Um, you know, which sounds like a really low bar, but there are so many of these that are not nearly as good. As, as this. And you, I, I really appreciate it when you find some piece of trash that uh, ends up being something that people put enough of an effort into to actually like feel like, you know, this was actually worth 90 minutes of my time. Yeah. Um, which I think The Beach Girls definitely was. Um, and I think that's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about it either. Um, I oh, enjoyed wet it. t-shirt in the sauna. That was oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, that was... Uh, that was... You know, if, if we can be lascivious, you know, for a moment. And, uh, you know, the party scenes have lots of just random naked girls hanging yep. around, you know. Yep. And uh, I don't think anybody gets sexually assaulted in, in either of these films, honestly. So well, um, everybody's everyone's pairing off on their own accord. Uh, yeah, I know. Definitely, definitely a positive for the Beach Girls. No sexual assault. <laughs> um, so you know, it's rare in these kind of films that there's not a, a rape joke or a, a, a very rapey character in here. Um, the worst you get are the, the neighbors kind of trying to spy on the party and look at the, the naked girls, um, which, you know, on the scale of things, you know, is as bad as many of these other films are on these on this matter. Uh, I admire that. Uh, the Beach Girls, it's Oscar caliber is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's it's, it's um, in all honesty, it is actually probably one of the better of the genre. I mean, it it's it's just got really good performances in it. It's fun, and yeah, I mean, it's it's probably not my favorite uh, from the from this from this movie company, this line of films. But I think I'd still go Van Nuys Boulevard over this one personally. When we get to the end, we're gonna have to like make a listing of all the and the, mm. all the films we discussed and like like pick like favorites and. Least favorites, you know, maybe not do like an actual ordered list, but I think it would be fun to to do that. But I agree with you. Van Nuys Boulevard is is probably the the best of the films that we've discussed. But I think I actually enjoyed this a little bit more than Van Nuys Boulevard, just in terms of well, uh, this this one throws yeah. more nudity at you than Van Nuys does, right? I mean, just just on a just on a kind of you know, oh, it's just kind of fun to watch. It's fun. It's a part, yeah, more of a fun party movie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I would put this on at a party. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Daniel, tell everyone about your Doctor Who podcast. All right. I have a Doctor Who podcast, which Lee has been on once, and we'll probably have him back sooner or later. Um, but I do it with my wife. It's called Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. You can find us at oispaceman.libson.com. That's oispaceman, all one word, dot libson, L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. And we do classic and new series. We do all about Doctor Who and... Uh, if you want to listen to us talk, if you want to listen to me talk about very terrible actors who nonetheless are in, in very terrible special effects that nonetheless, you know, people kind of gave a shit about, like that's that's talking about classic Who to a large degree. So, and uh, we're up to the Tom Baker years now, which uh, people seem to love. So hopefully uh, people will uh, enjoy it. Yeah. All right. So um, check it out. And uh, you can find, well, the trailer that runs behind this. You'll be able to find all of our links for me, Daniel, and Paul as well, and links to other podcasts of similar interest. And you can leave comments and questions there. You can leave them under the eventual YouTube episode that will be posted. So uh, whichever is best for you, uh, we encourage comments and questions, um, suggestions, criticisms, recommendations, stuff you want us to uh, cover we're, we're ideas for future movies and not just sex comedies because we mm-hmm. do more than that. We run a cycle of doing a bunch of these but we'll move out of this pretty soon but uh other sex comedies what's your favorite sex comedy what do you want to hear us talk about yeah Uh, we'll kind of as busty cops proves we'll watch anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much any idea what you want to go out for music because uh nothing really nothing (laughs) you know what just play california girls and be done with it all right uh what did uh david lee roth yeah oh yeah yeah 
You know, David Lee, sorry, yeah, David Lee Roth, yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get that one in there. Um, thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for joining me again. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>